This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, we love You and thank You. And Lord, uh, we do want to praise You and thank You Lord, for uh, the Incarnation, for sending Your Son into this world to take on human flesh and human nature, to live a life apart from the glory that Christ had known for all eternity, taking on the form of a servant for us going to the cross for us, suffering, dying, and being raised again for us. And Lord, it's because of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection, that we have Your assurance that we too can walk in newness of life, no longer dominated by the will of Satan and our own sinful flesh, but living under the power, influence of Your Holy Spirit within us. Lord, we're, we're thankful for Your saving work. Lord, grant, and as we look at this passage tonight, that um, it may have that continuing sanctifying effect on us, Your truth, sanctifying us, setting us apart for Your glory. Open our understanding. Lord, enable us not only to to hear and to, to grasp, but also to apply Your truth to our lives. May we, may we learn to live what we're reading about here, what we're hearing here, Your will for us. And may it all be for Your glory. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, Matthew 18, verse 15 tonight. Um, this is probably <clears throat> the, the primary text that is referenced um, when you speak of the topic of church discipline, like we've, we've talked about in some of our uh, other studies. Um, so we're getting the benefit tonight, and, and that's correct, I would say, by the way, but we're also getting the, the benefit tonight of getting it in the context in which it appears in the New Testament. That is, we've been moving through Matthew from verse 1 chapter 1, to where we are right now. And so, um, just a, uh, a, a reminder quickly of what we were talking about this morning. Uh, Jesus was talking about the, the, uh, the danger of offenses. He's giving us warning concerning offenses. We've, we read about as far back as chapter 16 where uh, Jesus Himself was uh, offended or at least referred to Satan working through Peter as being an offense to him, 
because he savored uh, the things of man rather than the things of God. And then we've seen that play out in, in these uh, passages we looked at this morning in regard to the disciples dealing with one another and then also Jesus' instruction can, as far as how they would deal with other believers uh, today. And His instruction, His exhortation to them to avoid offenses. Well, He's still speaking in that same vein here. He's still talking about offenses, um, scandals. Uh, if you remember, the, is the Greek word behind this. It's the idea of setting a trap for someone or causing someone to sin. And so now he gives us a, uh, uh, instruct, some specific instruction regarding that as far as uh, what, what do we do? What do we do when someone offends us or, as it's put here, when someone sins against us? How do we respond to that? Uh, that's what he's talking about in this passage. And, and it's uh, uh, somewhat of a, I guess the term would be foreshadowing here. He, get, he gives us instruction on how to handle these things in a church setting. And I, and I think he's talking about here, like we have been on Wednesday nights, the, the local church. But it's interesting because unless you consider the disciples to be a church, there is no church at this point when Jesus is saying these things, at least not, not in this sense, in the, in the sense of a New Testament church, local body, ecclesia. So, uh, very interesting passage. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the first time that Jesus uses that word, church, is in Matthew 16. And we'll probably refer back to that uh, as well, but He's using it again here. Alright, I'm going to start reading in verse 15 and read down through verse 20. <clears throat> moreover, and again, notice the word moreover there. This is a continuation of what we talked about this morning, what He's already been saying. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. This morning, we, we finished out the uh, sermon this morning in these uh, verses uh, 12 through 14. And Jesus gives a scenario about sheep that have gone astray. And as I mentioned this morning, I think he's, he's, again, he's instructing the disciples how to deal, 
How believers should deal with believers when they go astray. And I think, again, that's what's behind verse 11 here. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Lost, in this case, meaning uh, sheep, fellow believers that have gone astray. Because that's been the, the context the whole way here, ever since verse 1. He's, he's been talking about believers, the little children, those who believe on Him. Um, and then he gives the instruction. Wouldn't you, if, if, if a man has hundred sheep and one goes astray, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine and go after the one? And he talks about how he rejoices over that one. And then he says in verse 14, Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones, that is, believers, someone who believes on Christ, it's not the Father's will that one of these little ones should perish. So Jesus says, I came... Not to destroy is the idea here, basically what they were doing, um, the disciples with their, with their selfish attitudes. I came not to, not to destroy, not to put a stumbling block in front of people, not to offend, but to save. And he's saying this is the way it should be. He's giving them an, an example to follow. We should be like the shepherd who goes after the one sheep who's gone astray. And so now he gives an example of that. Now this is not this is not a parable, not just a story uh, to illustrate. He's, he's a, this is didactic. He's he's actually giving instruction, saying here here's what you're to do. Verse 15. Moreover, this is in other words, this is what it looks like when a sheep goes astray and another one goes after it. Moreover, if your brother sins against you. Go and tell him his fault. Now, I'm going to break it down. There's four steps here, so it's really already outlined for us. There's, there's four steps here, and I'll just go through them one at a time here. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Now, now this is the issue. Someone offends you. Someone sins against you, does you wrong, Jesus says. Here's what you're to do. Here's how you're to respond. You go to them alone. This is the first step. It's not going to be the, the only one, but it's the first one. You go to them alone. And that is, you, you try to reconcile. You, you make them aware of what they have done, uh, which they may already be aware of, but, but you just go to them and, and confront them with this in a very loving, gentle way. Galatians 6.1 says, uh, if, if, if uh, someone's overtaken in a sin, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one with a, in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself. So you go lovingly and gently to that person. And if they repent, Jesus says, if they hear you, the idea here is that they, they agree and they repent. If they hear you, you have gained your brother. That is, reconciliation takes place. And once, once again, you're, you're joined in the kind of unity that, that should exist in, uh, uh, between brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, step number one is you go to them alone. It's not that you never seek advice from somebody, but, but we don't want to be publishing something 
You know, somebody's, somebody has done us wrong. We don't want to publish the thing and start telling everybody, guess what brother so-and-so did to me or sister so-and-so, guess what they did to me? Even if it's disguised as a prayer request, you know. Um, help me pray for brother so-and-so. Let me tell you what they did. Alex, say, now you may, may at times go to somebody in confidence and seek advice, but still it's going to require going to that person one-on-one. Jesus says this, this is the first step. Go to them alone. If they hear you, if he hears you, you have gained your brother. That is uh, repentance. If repentance takes place, then there's, there's reconciliation. Step two, what if, what, what if he doesn't hear? Then we move on to step two. And, and by the way, all the way through here, what we're looking for, what Jesus is, is uh, telling us to look for is repentance for reconciliation. The brother or the sister who has sinned needs to repent. Their repentance needs to happen. That is a change of mind and a change of direction. And they forsake the sin, and then reconciliation takes place. And that's, that's the goal all the way through here. It never stops being the goal. Verse 16, But if they don't repent, he says, If he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Now, that's actually uh, 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 coming from the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 19.15. Let me just read that real quick. Uh, that's where Jesus is pulling that from. And that, that principle would have been familiar, with, uh, with, uh, familiar to every devout Jew. Deuteronomy 19.15 One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Alright, so that's the principle that God set forth in the Old Testament uh, to keep somebody, you know, the idea is to keep somebody from just being slandered. Uh, if you're going to make an accusation, um, you know, for, in order for somebody to be, we would say, convicted, punished, um, then there, it, that accusation needs to be established by at least two, a uh, minimum of two, but two or three witnesses. That's what Jesus is saying needs to happen here in the context of uh, one brother sinning against another in the church. If he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now again, what he's implying here is if he hears at this point, and repents, then reconciliation takes place. So this kind of four-step process uh, can be ended at any time when repentance takes place. First step, you go to them alone. If they repent, it's over with. If they don't repent, you go to the next step. You take two, uh, one or two more witnesses. And if they repent, it's over with. It's reconciliation. But if what if they don't? Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, that is, he won't heed your own testimony, he won't heed their testimony. Uh, and incidentally, I, the, the term witnesses here, I, I, don't, I don't think it, it's not the idea that they have to have witnessed what happened. 
but they they just they witness the the, the procedure. They witness you're going back to him. You take them with him. You explain the situation, and and they are there with you for support as witnesses. In this case, uh, I think is what the Lord is describing here uh, to encourage repentance. But again, if they don't hear, verse 17, if if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia. And this is what we talked about uh, Wednesday night. The, the the assembly, the congregation is what the word means. Uh, literally, the called out ones. It's a common word used for public assemblies. So, so again, a good translation is congregation or assembly. So Jesus says, if they, they wouldn't listen to you personally, and then you take a couple of witnesses, and they won't listen to you and the witnesses, then it's got to go before the congregation. This is step three. Congregation has to be uh, has to be made made aware of it. Well, um, what if they don't hear the congregation? And by the way, let me just re-emphasize uh, again. All along, what's what's the goal? Yeah, repentance. You're seeking. You want them to repent so that they can be reconciled, you know, so that relationships can be restored. Um, so that, that's always the goal. You're, you're still seeking repentance and reconciliation. Um, if, they, if they refuse to hear the church, verse 17, uh, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him become to you like a heathen and a tax collector. <clears throat> and what is Jesus saying there? Now, now this, this is a, a dramatic move. And what Jesus is saying, we should be by now familiar with the terms uh, heathen and tax collectors or sinners and tax collectors. That's how they spoke about lost people. Sinners, you know, those that were supposedly outside of God's will. They, the Pharisees uh, found fault with Jesus uh, for eating with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, what they were accusing him of is you're, you're fellowshipping with ungodly people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the implication here. He, he, all right, so now Jesus says, this person who has sinned against you. Resisted your approach, and, and again, uh, again, I should also emphasize: in every step, is to be done lovingly and gently, but at the same time, you know, encouraging repentance. So he's saying they they've resisted the the one on one. You brought two or three witnesses; they've resisted that, and so you took it. Before the church, and the whole church was made aware of the matter, and uh, again they were encouraged to repent in an effort to uh, establish, uh, you know, re- restore relationships. Again they resisted. So now what? Jesus says they become to you as a heathen and a tax collector. That is, as a lost person. So they're they're no longer considered a part of the church. They're excluded is, is the 
traditional term used or, uh, you know, the Roman Catholics use the term excommunicated. Basically the same idea. They're ex- excluded from the church. Uh, there are examples. Uh, there's an example of this, 1 Corinthians 5. We talked about when we were going through the subject on church discipline where Paul instructs the church at, uh, at Corinth to turn the offender over to Satan. All right? So he's, he's excluded. He's, he's put out from the church and, and formally turned over to Satan. That's, that's I, I think, an example of what Jesus is talking about here. Because, again, there is, uh, there's resistance to the correction, to the loving correction. There's resistance to the idea of reconciliation. Uh, so, they become to you as a lost person. Well, what does that mean in terms of how you treat them? Still love them. Repentance and reconciliation is always the goal. Um, think for a minute. Uh, when, when we talk about lost people, people that are outside the church, people who don't know the Lord, uh, we, we, we can't have truly intimate fellowship with them. They, they don't partake, like tonight we're going to uh, partake of the Lord's Supper. They, they don't partake, uh, participate in the ordinances with us. That is, if someone doesn't truly know the Lord, there's no reason for them to be baptized. Um, we shouldn't encourage them to be, even if it will help our numbers. Um, and, they, and they don't partake of the Lord's Supper. So, uh, I, I, they're not considered family in that sense anymore, spiritual family. But it doesn't mean we don't love them. In fact, our attitude towards lost people should be that we do love them. That's why we carry the gospel to them. So, with lost people who have you know, never been part of the church, we take the truth to them, encouraging them to repent and believe the gospel, right? And, and I think that's uh, implied here. It's just basically you're going back to that. They can no longer be considered part of the church, um, but it doesn't mean you don't love them, and it doesn't mean you treat them in some kind of unloving manner. Uh, it may be perceived as unloving. Uh, for example, if you can't even eat with them like we're instructed in one place, um, but it, it's, it's, it's not because you're, you're truly unloving. You want to encourage them to repent. Now, before I move on to these next verses, uh, what, what kind of sin would, would justify going through these steps? Well, I can, I can name one for sure, and in, in the case in 1 Corinthians 5, it's an incestuous relationship uh, between a man who's a member of the church at Corinth, right, and his father's wife, presumably his, you know, his stepmother. <clears throat> but that, that's an example that we have in Scripture where this is done. But let me say this, that, what the sin is doesn't even seem to be the issue here. And Jesus doesn't even talk about that. He just says, if your brother sin against you. And He doesn't give a list. Well, it's, okay, this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. Now, now if, if they sin against you in these ways, here's what you do. But if it's these sins over here, 
you can let it slide. He doesn't give us a list like that. He doesn't talk that way. So I, so I don't think the sin is the issue at all. In other words, we, you know, we, when do we begin this process of what sin requires this process of, of uh, church discipline? I think is a wrong approach. The issue here is their unrepentance. If someone sins against you, you automatically go to step one. I mean, that should be what we do as, as loving brothers and sisters in the Lord who hold one another accountable. If someone sins against you, you know, you don't, you don't pick up the phone and tell your best friend or, or you know, if it's the... Uh, the, the pastor or visiting evangelist that offends you or something, you don't tell the rest of the congregation or vice versa. You go to that person. That's just part of loving them. When I have a problem with uh, Leslie, and she is a sinner, <laughs> when, when, unfortunately so am I. But when I have a problem with Leslie, I go to her. You go to that person, and that, that ought to be automatic for us. When someone sins against you, you go to them and try to uh, get things corrected. Because, you, because we love one another, and we don't want the thing to fester and just get worse. And that's, that's what happens. You know, whether we admit it or not, that's, that's what happens uh, so often. Well, what if they... Don't repent. I mean, you see how it's really a natural flow. If, if they persist, they don't repent, then the logical thing would be to, uh, to look for some help. You get two or three people to go with you and try to persuade them concerning the sin. Try to persuade them concerning the need for repentance. And again, if they don't repent, the issue is unrepentance. It's not specific sins. The issue is unrepentance. And so, again, if they don't repent, you take it before the church, and then consequently, uh, if they don't repent, they are excluded from the church. And as hard as that sounds, it's done out of love. Because what you want for that person, ultimately, is that uh, they spend eternity with the Lord. What you want for them ultimately is that they repent and that their soul be saved. Verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We went over this back in chapter 16 when uh, the Lord was uh, speaking with Peter. But it's interesting... um, there, he does seem to be speaking directly to Peter. And I, I told you when we were dealing with that then, uh, he's, he's giving this authority to Peter. But I, as I told you when we were in that place, by implication, it goes to all the disciples and to all the church. And certainly here, the, the Lord uh, seems to be saying the same thing, the same power, the same authority belongs to the church. And not only the, the church of, uh, not only the first century church, but the church today. The same responsibility belongs to the church. So whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Or it could be better... Uh, uh, the, the idea here is whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. 
whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So, Jesus is saying, if, you, if, if we, the church, conduct ourselves in obedience to His Word, follow His instruction in these matters, then actually what we're doing uh, with, with the actions we take is just playing out or confirming, uh, uh, working out what He has already determined in heaven. It's not that heaven is responding to what we do. It's us responding to what God has done. It's us living out God's purposes. He's assuring us that if we do things His way, um, our, our judgment will be uh, in line with His will. Verse 19, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning... In fact, let me, let me read 19 and 20 together here. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. What's at issue here is correcting a sinner, eliminating offenses. I say that because that's, that's the context still that these verses are, are, uh, are written in. Uh, in other words, this is not a license to pray for anything and receive it. Where two agree is touching anything, it'll, it'll be done. Meaning, uh, you know, if I can just get somebody to agree with me for something that I lust after, uh, you know, more money or whatever it is, if I can just get somebody to agree with me on that, it'll be done because this verse says it'll be done. It's not what Jesus is saying. This is, this is written in the context of church discipline and church judgment. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is, um, the, the judgment uh, that, you, that you render in, in such a case, um, Jesus is saying, God's will will be done where two or more agree in these matters. If, if, and it suggests, it implies, going to the Lord in prayer, seeking His will. Um, two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. And again, I think he's talking about in regard to these issues, dealing with a brother who has sinned against you. It will be done for them. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst. Now, verse 20, is that talking about is that still talking about discipline, or is that talking about what constitutes a church? We're still in the context of discipline, aren't we? This is another one that, that uh, gets yanked out of context a lot of times. Where two or three are gathered together. Again, the idea is gathered together for what? To make the right judgment in the matter of, of discipline, disciplining a believer who has sinned. Where two or three are gathered together in My name, that is, you, you, you come together for the purpose of making this decision in the name of Christ. If, if so be, if it goes as far, like a, verse 17 says, where, where that, that person won't hear the church, then you've got a decision to make. That, that person has to be excluded, as Jesus says here. 
So when the church seeks the Lord in these matters, in His name, that is, we're seeking to do His will, we have His assurance that He's in the midst. In other words, we can be assured that His will is being carried out if we are humbly seeking to do His will. Where have we seen that little phrase, two or three, before in verse 20? Verse 16, right? It's, it's from Deuteronomy 19.15. I'm just pointing that out. So you see, it's the, it's the context here. Verse 16, if, we will not, if He will not hear, take with you two or more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word be, may be established. That is, there are witnesses to persuade this person to repent and be restored. That's what Jesus has in mind in verse 20 where two or three are gathered, that is, gathered for that purpose, to persuade somebody to repent of their sins and be reconciled. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered in My name, seeking My will, that is, in that situation, we can have the assurance that He is in the midst. In the midst. And I've wondered, I was looking, uh, as I was looking at the uh, passages for this morning, I've wondered if, if if that wasn't part of what uh, Jesus had in mind in verses eight and nine. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. And like we talked about this morning, why? Because it's it's, it's causing. Offense, and it it seemed uh, almost like he had in, where those two verses are, eight and nine. It seemed almost like he had switched subjects there, because because first he's talking about causing someone to sin, right? Verse seven: Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. He's talking about causing someone else to stumble, causing someone else to sin. And then you get to verses 9 and 10, and he's talking about part of your own body, making you sin. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your, if your uh, foot causes you to sin, verse 8, cut it off. Why? It's better for you to enter life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet, two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And anyway, it's just interesting to me. Uh, I don't want to try to guess too much about what was in Jesus' mind when He was saying that. But uh, that that's in the same context with the instructions for church discipline. It's sort of like sin in the camp. You know, in the case with, with Joshua in the Old Testament. It's, it's got to be rooted out in a loving, gentle way, pursuing reconciliation for the good of the body, which is what he's talking about in 8 and 9 in his illustration. For the good of the body. So he says here, if, if the unrepentance continues, then that person becomes as a lost person to you. They're excluded from the fellowship, and you have the assurance 
That is, if we do these things in Jesus' name, like he says in verse 20, that is, seeking his will, seeking his guidance, in obedience to the instruction he's given us uh, in this passage and in other passages, if we carry out church discipline consistently with what he has instructed us to do, we have his assurance that he's in the midst, that he's in the midst of it. That is, his will is being accomplished. That makes sense? Any questions on that? I know it's a difficult subject, difficult passage. But then again, it's laid out pretty simply, isn't it? Four, four simple steps. Now, there's a lot, again, that, that I'm not spending time on here. There's a lot that goes behind that. I mentioned Galatians 6.1. That's a key verse. It talks about these things having, have to be done with gentleness. Paul says, considering yourself. You've got to put yourself in their shoes, so to speak, and, and treat them accordingly. And, and I think another good, you know, Jesus tells, instructs us to love as He loves us. So I think another great motivator to be loving toward people is just to consider how the Lord treats us. Because I do stupid things all the time. And the Lord is loving and patient and just continues to teach and to lead. So that's the way we want to be as well. Um, and both can be done. I was going to say without neglecting church discipline, but both can be done. Church discipline can be, should be, an act of love. Any questions? All right, brothers, I'm going to ask you to come and prepare for the Lord's Supper here.